tired of you using our young people as a political football. They are not a political football. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. That was Kevin Casillas, a Southwest Detroit pastor and a high school Spanish teacher at Cass Tech. He was speaking yesterday in front of dozens of protesters at a rally in support of DACA. Now, that's the federal program that protects undocumented immigrants who were brought to the United States as minors. We're going to talk all hour about this issue. Now the Trump administration says it will rescind the program next year unless Congress makes it into law. I think this raises fundamental questions about who we are as Americans and who we are as a nation. We say all the time that this is a nation of immigrants, and it is. Most of the people who live in this country, are descendants of people from other places. Descendants of voluntary immigrants, descendants of slaves. And we're Americans because we're all here together. And once we're here, supposedly, we don't talk about how we got here or why we're here. We're just here. But Donald Trump has really changed that framing. Not just with his announcement to end DACA yesterday, but with his very first campaign message about immigration, which talked about a Muslim ban. Then he wanted to build a border wall with our closest neighbor to the south and one of our biggest trading partners, Mexico. Now he says children who were brought here by parents who may not have had permission to be here as long as they were, can't stay. They have to go home. One of the things that was really interesting to me about this yesterday when Attorney General Jeff Sessions was making the announcement in Washington was his constant reference to an old immigration law. And rather than talk about the immigration laws that were passed in the 50s or the 60s, which removed ethnic discrimination from immigration laws, Jeff Sessions kept talking about the immigration law of 1924. Do you know what that law talked about? It was an immigration restriction law. And the restrictions were pointed at people who were not Europeans. If you were Asian... You were banned entirely by the 1924 immigration law. If you were from the Middle East, if you were Jewish, if you were African, you saw your ability to immigrate to the United States severely curtailed. If this isn't about purifying America, if this isn't about ethnicity, ethnocentrism, then why did the Attorney General of the United States consistently refer to the law that was passed in 1924 yesterday? I think we're overdue a real conversation about who we want to be in this country and what we want to do and what we want to represent to a world who we tell all the time that we're the pinnacle, 
that we're the best, that we're exceptional, and that they ought to want to be like us or come be with us. As I said, we're going to talk all hour about this subject, and of course we want to hear from you. What do you think about the idea of to end DACA? What do you think about sending a message to children that would punish them for the sins committed by their parents? Is that an American value? What do you think about sending the message to the world that some people just are not going to be accepted here in the United States? The number to join the conversation all hour, of course, is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. You can put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work your comments into the conversation. We want to hear from everybody. I want to hear from people who think this is outrageous. I want to hear from people who feel affected by this, maybe because they have family members who may face deportation if Congress can't make this into law. But I also want to hear from people who think this is a step in the right direction. I want to hear from people who think illegal immigration has to be responded to in the most extreme ways. If you believe that this is the right thing, I really want to have a conversation with you as well this morning. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can go to Facebook, the WDET page there, and put your comments. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag today, and we will work you into the conversation. We're going to start off today with a conversation that WDET's Jake Neer had with Kevin Casillas at the rally yesterday. Kevin Casillas is a Southwest Detroit pastor and a high school Spanish teacher at Cast Tech. He was visibly upset about the announcement yesterday. The DACA students are the brightest students, the most capable students, I would say, in our state, in our country. Can we give a hand to our DACA students? Yeah. There are individuals that contribute. They are providing a benefit to all of our community. And as a pastor, morally, this is wrong. You do not punish. I say you do not punish. You do not punish children for decisions of their parents. Now, I believe in a God. I believe in a God that had a family that created parents that made mistakes. And there were consequences to the children by that mistake that was made. But that same God is a God of grace. That same God is a God of hope. That same God is one that gives a pathway where there is no pathway. My name is Kevin Casillas. I'm pastor of First Latin American Baptist Church here in Southwest Detroit. I also work as a Spanish teacher in one of the schools in the city. One thing that I wanted to really ask you about is the timing of this, it's coming down on the first day of class for a lot of us. Can you talk about, this is something that you know disproportionately affects young people and they're hearing about it today. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, uh, we don't like bad news and we don't like bad news at a bad time. So uh, to do this on the first day of school is, is it's kind of like putting salt into the wound, telling our DACA students that, no, we don't really care about you as students. We don't want you in this country. Uh, you're at fault. 
and in a day and age where we need to uh, encourage our youth to pursue their dreams, to, uh, to contribute to society, uh, these are young people that are uh, being educated, that are excelling in that education. Many of them go on to college, have to pay for their own college. You know, this is something that, that is just a, a, appalling to us as a, as a Latino community, as a community of immigrants, as a nation of immigrants. This is an affront to who we are as an American people. As, as someone who's both a pastor and a teacher, talk about DACA students and DACA members of your of your uh, faith community as well. Absolutely, the DACA students that I've known have been those that care about their community, that are uh, uh, participating in church activities, that are helping those in the community in need, that are taking their education seriously. They have the high marks. They're going. To, I have one student who is in Harvard today. Uh, who was a DACA recipient. Uh, they are working hard to get the scholarships because they're not allowed the extra funding that somebody who's not a DACA student uh, is able to get as a U.S. citizen. So they have to work extra hard. And to slam the door on their face is, as I said before, an affront to our American values. It's totally disrespectful. And we are calling upon congressmen and congresswomen, both Democrat and Republican, to keep their promises, to express that compassion in real legislation legislation to make sure that our DACA students can stay in our community and our churches and our schools. Uh, for students who are coming to you uh, dealing with this emotionally, what would you tell them? You know, I, I'm a man of prayer and I, I know that God is a God of grace and sustains us whatever His providence allows and uh, you know, obviously I, I want to encourage them. Uh, there are there, there is a memo online in the Homeland uh, Security website where they can see the details about who's affected and who's affected when. So I would encourage them to first inform themselves to see about the details of their particular permission and their status. Uh, secondly, I would want to just pray for them, pray for their family, and try to engage them to participate in these efforts to make sure this la this law is passed immediately. Okay, that was Kevin Casillas, a Southwest Detroit pastor uh, and a high school Spanish teacher at Cass Tech. He spoke with Detroit Today producer Jake Neer about the announcement yesterday that the Trump administration plans to end DACA if Congress can't make it into law in the next six months. We are talking all hour about that announcement and the reaction to that announcement. Again, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. It's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. Put your comments there or go to Twitter and uh, hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. I want to turn the conversation now to some of the folks who will be affected by this announcement. Some of the people who could see their lives change pretty dramatically if Congress doesn't make DACA into law in the next six months and the Trump administration follows through on its promise to end the program. Brenda is a dreamer and a junior at the University of Michigan. Jose Franco is a dreamer and founder of One Michigan. Brenda and Jose, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Hi. Yeah. Uh, Brenda, I'm going to start with you. First, I want to hear what your immediate reaction was to what the Trump administration announced yesterday. And then I want to hear what effect you think this might have on you and your family. Um, hi. Um, 
First of all, I thought that when I heard the news, I actually was in class with my phone open and just trying to, like, refreshing the page on, like, DACA and just seeing whatever was being posted online and following, you know, several news blogs and figuring out what was going to happen. And when I first heard about it, I wasn't surprised. I think um, when the announcement was made on Friday that something would happen over Memorial Day weekend, mm-hmm. um, it was just expected, you know. And there were like three scenarios going through my mind. Well, there were multiple, but I was just ready for anything at this point. And, you know, just thinking of how to move forward from whatever decision was made. And and talk a little about your story, your story coming to this country, your story trying to maintain your existence in America. Um, I think so. I first moved to Detroit when I was six. So um, I've been in Michigan for 14 years. Um, This is what I call home. And just knowing that this is all I know is scary and the the idea that I may have to leave. And how have have you been able to stay in the country so far? Talk about that, that process of just trying to get ID, for instance. Yeah, so... um, I didn't know, like, as a kid, I I didn't really see myself as a polit- political body. I just, you know, thought I was a kid and I could do stuff. Um, but it was funny because when I was in sixth grade, I had to take a standardized test that required um, some form of identification in order for me to take this test to be in a program. And I just couldn't because I couldn't get a state ID. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the hardest conversations to have with my parents as someone in middle school that you know you can't get a state id you can't do this and that was just a harsh reality of asking my parents can i do this can i do that and sometimes them not knowing if it could happen yeah so i think um throughout the years it's been more of a conversation that whenever i want to participate or engage as in education or just community or jobs or programs um I have to look at, you know, what their citizenship requirements are. And that became a harsh reality when looking for scholarship money in high school because I would have to read the fine print in every single scholarship and then call them up just to make sure that if I did apply and if I did get the scholarship, would it be able to um would it be able to be disimbursed to me? So I would always have the conversation with people. And some people thought it was weird. They didn't know where I was coming from asking them about their scholarship process and if they were federally funded and, you know, pretty much getting into their business. But um, a lot of people were very understanding. They didn't ask a lot of questions and just answered mine. So it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just getting an ID was really hard. But um, DACA went into effect when I was around, I think, 16. Mm-hmm. And I was able to have my very first job with Wayne State University. I was able to get my work permit, and I think as a high school student, being able to be as normal as everyone else really meant a lot because I wasn't ostracized from the community. If people were getting you know jobs over the summer, I could do that too. Right. I could take driver's ed. Um, you know, I couldn't go on fancy vacations because my parents couldn't travel with me. Mm-hmm. But you know, just 
trying to normalize myself as much as possible really meant a lot. Yeah, yeah. Jose Franco, you're also a dreamer and founder of the group One Michigan. Tell me about your reaction to what the Trump administration announced yesterday, but also how you feel this will affect you personally. Um, I think, just like Brenda was saying, we were expecting this announcement would happen um, sooner than later. Um, and I think I've been mentally preparing for that since he became president back in November, or he won the election in November. Um, but at the same time, I come from an organizing background, and we were able to have DACA as a victory because the organizing community demanded it. And the same way that we demanded DACA to happen is the same way that we're going to uh, push ahead for positive legislation that protects um, DACA holders and not forget that our parents are still, um, they have no protection and we're going to continue to fight for them and our neighbors as well because they're more vulnerable um, at this point than uh, us DACA holders. Uh Um, So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to amplify the efforts that we use to make DACA happen to push for uh, to push Congress to, push to Congress. make it into law. Mm-hmm. Talk about the circumstances that brought you to America mm-hmm. as a child. Um, so I came here when I was two years old. I'm 29, so it's been almost two decades that that I've been here in the U.S. And Detroit is my home. Um, the reason we came over, um, my dad had just passed away like a year earlier. And all of my mom's family was already here in the U.S., so it was more of a just reuniting with family here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Originally, she only thought that she would stay here for like two or three years and then move back, and we never left, and we just called Detroit home. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I think is really important about your story, and I think this is true of an awful lot of people in this situation, is your mother did not come here as an undocumented immigrant. She did she did. She did. Okay. Yes. We uh, we uh, crossed the border. I was two years old, and um, I still have a. Well, my mom says that um, as we were crossing the border, I kind of ran away from her, um, and because of that, uh, border patrol like uh, caught us, and I and I saw that they were grabbing my mom, and I just I I don't know why, but I just started yelling at them and kicking at them. Um, but then, do you have do you have a memory of that? Not really, but my mom tells me that that's what I did, and I don't know. I just looking back at it, it's kind of funny. But um, we were able to like do it again uh, a few days later, and mm-hmm. now we're here. Mm-hmm. And and as you point out, she was trying to reconnect with, with family correct. who were already here. Correct. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Uh, My guests are Brenda, who is a dreamer and a junior at the University of Michigan. Also, Jose Franco, who's a dreamer and founder of One Michigan. We're talking about the announcement yesterday by the Trump administration that it will end the program that allows the children of people who are here with undocumented status to stay to stay and pursue their dreams, to stay and go to college, to stay and get a job, to stay and build a family. The administration says if that's going to be policy, it needs to be Congress who makes it into law and that the president will no longer enforce the executive order that President Obama 
put together. What do you think about that? What do you think about the idea of sending people home for not their mistakes or their transgressions, but the things that their parents did? Is there something about Americanism that should prevent us from thinking that that's okay? How often do we talk about the idea that people shouldn't be punished for the things that their parents did? Is it okay in this context because of the way we feel about immigration? Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Felix in Northville. Felix, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I voted for Obama twice, and I gave money always to Democrats. And see, uh, here, I don't see anything wrong with what Trump is trying to do, as long as emotional appeal is a fallacy. So only good, not good, only appeal against what Trump is trying to do is emotional. And that emotional appeal can work for 70 years old women also, because she came here 50 years, and she's been here 20 years illegal, now, if they want to deport her, oh, how can you deport 70 years old woman? And that will work for everybody. So it is wrong. It is a policy. I do understand. I'm an immigrant of 17 years. Mm-hmm. But still, I do understand Trump, what Trump is doing. Here, I would say same thing as Obama finalized temporary Bush tax cuts. 80% of those tax cuts are final and low now as Obama did, as a Bush tax cut. So now Obama did something, some temporary, it is like a poison pill, of course, but Bush, Trump is trying to finalize it as a law. What is wrong here? We do need a law. So Felix, Felix, you're okay with the idea of, of children being sent out of the country, or even if they're adults now, People being no, sent out of the country because of what their parents did? Yeah, what is exactly what you're doing? Emotional appeal. Is it okay? No, I'm not okay. But are we? when you say what kind of country we are, do we follow constitution or not? That's the question. And the question is if it is constitutional or not. Was Obama's executive order constitutional? Right. And I doubt because if it comes and see what Democrats say, oh, let's appeal it, let's go to court. They, they collect money. They call me. They go, oh, give us some money because we don't try to uh, appeal Obama, Obama. What is it? Trump? Yeah. yeah. Felix, I, I, I think I understand your, your point there. You want to you wanna make sure we follow the law in addition to being compassionate. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure what the courts will say about, uh, about DACA if that gets to the Supreme Court, for instance. Um, but I appreciate your call. I appreciate your thoughts. Let's go to Chuck in Brighton. Chuck, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, and thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. This action is uh, indecent. It is rooted in the pre-World War I white supremacist eugenics movement in Europe. And I believe that all these young people that have spent their lifetime here deserve immediate citizenship. And I say that as an immigrant myself. 
Chuck, I, I totally appreciate that sentiment. Let me ask you a question, though. Are you frustrated not only with the Trump administration, but also with the Obama administration, which when it was when it was campaigning in 2008, made immigration a pretty big issue, pushed an immigration reform bill through the Senate, but then never pushed it into the House so that we could make it into law. Do you feel like perhaps President Obama, by making this an executive order, which was always going to be subject to another president saying they didn't want to do it, do you think that this marks one of his failures? Uh, no, I don't, because he brought you know the issue to the forefront. It had been dwelling in Congress for 16 years. They'd done nothing. Uh, something had to be done, and he did it. He created legislation, which was not really his job. That's the Congress's job. Mm -hmm. The DREAM Act's been around forever. Congress would do nothing. So I appreciate what he did. I don't disagree with it. Uh, and if you listen to his words over time, from the time he was a senator, uh, he has gradually changed his own position, which is what normal human beings do. Yes. And we're not being, you know, treated to normal human beings in the current administration <laughs> of this country. Yeah. Chuck, I really appreciate the call. Thanks very much for that. Uh, Brenda and Jose, before I let you go, I want to hear each of you talk about what you're going to be doing the next few months, this six-month deadline looming out there. What what will your lives look like over that time? Jose, I'll start with you. Um, A lot of organizing, and immediately in the next just next month is just uh, letting everybody know that that you can renew your DACA if um, it's set to expire before March 5th mm -hmm. of 2018. So that's the message I want to relay to everybody is there's still time for those that have DACA that's set to expire before March 5th. You can renew um, and you can contact us. Just look us up on Facebook. We're One Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to continue to fight for clean legislation such as the DREAM Act to make this permanent fix. Um, I personally don't blame my parents for what they did. I would never do that. Um, I'm grateful that they brought me here. And now that I'm here and I've made my life here, I'm grateful for them. Um, I wouldn't, I love America and mm -hmm. I want to stay here. And I'm grateful that my mother brought me here. Yeah. Brenda? Um, so, um, well, I'm a junior, so career fair is something that's going to happen this semester or next. So that's definitely me preparing myself um, to put my resume out there. But I think in addition to that, being at the university level is just engaging in the conversations about immigration and the policies that exist right now and how it affects people. I think when it comes to immigration, um, the point is blaming people and blaming my parents or blaming other people's parents or whoever you want to blame. Um, it's a good game to play. It is. But I think it's more of, as a college student, engaging others with what immigration policy really looks like, how feasible it is for people to actually become legal in this in the United States, and talking of bigger picture um, and being more logical think about it and not blaming people because it's easy to blame others, but when you engage in immigration policy as a whole, there's a lot to be fixed yeah. and a lot has, that has to change. 
Brenda, a dreamer and junior at the University of Michigan, and Jose Franco, a dreamer and founder of One Michigan. Thank you both for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. All right, up next, we're going to speak with two people who work with and help DACA recipients right here in Southeast Michigan. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Now I go to school full-time, not part-time. I go over to Wayne State University. Uh, I work at Quicken Loans. And if DACA gets rescinded, I mean, I lose all of that. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. That was Juan Gonzalez, a 24-year-old Detroiter who now lives in Lincoln Park and is studying to become an immigration attorney at Wayne State. He's one of hundreds of thousands of people in America whose lives changed dramatically for the better with the implementation of the Federal Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, or DACA. These are the people who could not go to college and could not legally hold a job before the Obama administration created DACA in 2012. People like Juan have been taking full advantage of those protections since then, chasing their dreams of contributing to society as lawyers, as doctors, as business owners, teachers. They are the embodiment, I think, of the American dream. Now, Juan says he'll lose all of that. His dream of becoming an immigration attorney to help people like himself is not going to be possible if the Trump administration ends DACA and Congress fails to create new protections for these immigrants. We are talking all hour about the Trump administration's announcement on DACA. And of course, we want to hear from you. What do you think about the idea of saying to people like Juan, you can't be here. You didn't do anything wrong, but your parents did. And you are going to pay the consequences for that. Is that American? Is that the way we treat people in other contexts who are the sons and daughters of people who've made mistakes? Is this not Donald Trump's fault at all? Is this the fault of President Obama? who failed to get the DREAM Act passed from Congress and made it into an executive order that he knew would be vulnerable to the next president's whims. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Joining me now to continue the conversation are two people who work with and help DACA recipients in Southeast Michigan. Steve Palakdary uh, is Director of Communications at Southwest Solutions, and Amr Zar is an adjunct, adjunct professor of law at University of Detroit Mercy. He has an expertise in Arab and Muslim American issues. Steve and Amr, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to get your reactions first uh, to what we saw yesterday and some sense from you of what you're hearing from the people you work with. Steve, I'll start with you. Well, I think this is a decision that we knew was coming. We were anticipating still came it. as a shock to all of us. Maybe we thought there'd be a last-minute reprieve, but it was not forthcoming. Um. You know, our reaction is that this will have a devastating impact 
on individuals, families, and the community in southwest Detroit. Yeah. Amr? Uh, you know, this, there has been a long pattern in American history of um, immigration action against the other, mm-hmm. right? I mean, from the beginning of this country, let's not forget, and this is what I teach on at Detroit Mercy, that uh, the first naturalization acts all the way back until 1790, you had to be white in order to enter America. Um, and that was the law from 1790 all the way until 1952. Whiteness was a prerequisite for immigration and yeah. naturalization. So, you and know, I thought, I mean, <clears throat> I'll let you finish that thought, but, yeah. but I, I thought it was really interesting yesterday when Attorney General Sessions was talking about this. Mm-hmm. He was referring over and over to the right. 1924 right. immigration law, not the 1952 immigration law, which removed right. those ethnic. Right. Uh, the 1924 immigration law was a, a racist law. It, yes. was a, it was a law that put quotas on people based on how many of, of people from their country were here 30 years before that law. So it was a way to keep the country whiter. And, and what we see is the same sort of stuff going on now. This is all about the census, which is what I teach at the end of the day, and demographics, right? Trying to protect against what I call the brownification of America. But it's happening. You cannot uh, do anything about it. No laws will stop it. And uh, there's this uh, fear, but it's really a racist fear in many parts of America, that if the country gets browner, if it gets less white, all of a sudden that means less opportunity for certain amounts of people. Of course, that's not true. America has always been a place, despite its racial history, uh, where if you work hard and you study hard, uh, that you can have opportunities here. But there is this demographic strife happening right now. It's what Trump's election was all about. Mm -hmm. It's what his immigration policy is all about. Let's not forget, as Arab Americans and Muslim Americans, We were the first target. We're always the easiest target. It only took him seven days to put something into place to ban us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is just part of a a, a larger pattern of what's going on in some parts of the Republican Party and some parts of the country. And it's been his modus operandi since he started. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation on the phones. You can also go to WDET's Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work you in. Let's go to Martin in Monroe. Martin, welcome to Detroit today. Are you there, Martin? I think we may have lost Martin. Let's go to Bartos in Detroit. Bartos, welcome to Detroit today. Hello, how are we doing? Good, how are you? I'm okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a doctor recipient. Um, I uh, came to the U.S. when I was 10. Um, and uh, you know, this is like, this is terrifying for me. Um, I'm worried about myself and I'm worried about a lot of other people that, that I care about that are also going to be affected. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bartos, can you tell me about the circumstances that brought you to, to America? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I came here when I was, uh, 10 years old, uh, from Poland. Um, I've lived here for the last 23 years. Um, and, um, uh, you know, what started off as, as a, as a, you know, a year of going to school to learn English turned into, turned into my life. Um, and this, this became my home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I did all the stuff that, that you're supposed to do. Um, you know, they say, get good grades and, and like that will eventually 
lead to to be, being able to become an American and get citizenship. Um, and so I did that. You know, I, I, I got good grades and, and I got into the, the right college. I went to um, went to U of M and studied political science, and then I went to law school. Uh, and um, uh, turns out none of that created a path to citizenship. Um, however, uh, DACA has enabled me um, to get a work permit and to not have to worry about getting picked up by ICE mm-hmm. and, and to be able to do you know normal things like pay my rent and pay taxes. Um, and now uh, that might get taken away. Um, so uh, yeah, so that's that's um, I think it's yeah you know, I think it's it's a terrible decision and mm-hmm. I think that um, Congress needs to to step up and, and act and create a a path to citizenship with a Dream Act. Um, and I would say, you know, not just for not just for for people like me, like like the Dreamers, but I think for all um, for all undocumented folks. Yeah. Um, I well, think that you know, I really don't want to like be drawing this line in the sand between <laughs> us, the Dreamers, and yeah. and our parents who came here in search of better opportunities, because the path to citizenship is a myth. Like that doesn't exist for hardly anyone. Um, so. So I think that we need to create a path to citizenship for everyone. Yeah, Bartos, uh, I really, I really appreciate the the call and the comments. I think uh, you're reflecting a lot of things that people are are feeling today who are who are in that situation. Let's go to Peter in Bloomfield Township. Peter, welcome to Detroit today. Hello and good morning. Good morning. How are you? I would have to ask anyone in defense of this how I would challenge them to not sound racist and simply ask them who is eliminating DACA good for and see their response. I mean, people talk about, well, it saves jobs. I'm like, no, it doesn't. (laughs) It's creating economic, you know, opportunities for any people who come to the country, which can only help us as a whole. So Mm -hmm. who is this really, who is this good for? Yeah. I mean, Uh, you know, we should be clear about this, the jobs argument. Remember, DACA recipients are getting work authorization, which means they're not working under the table. They're not working, you know, in the shadows. So it means they're competing for jobs just like every other American. So this notion that they're stealing jobs, this is this is one of the biggest lies of, of uh, the anti-DACA people or just anti-immigration people in general, that immigrants somehow steal uh, jobs from regular old Americans or however you want to put it. It's, a, it's one of the biggest myths in America, right? Immigrants do jobs that sometimes most people don't want to do. Uh, immigrants are usually more educated than the general population, so they're doing jobs that most people can't get. Or they are entrepreneurial in very high rates, especially in the Arab American population, as we know. Um, they're doing jobs that they're creating jobs, right? They're opening up businesses in places that people normally wouldn't, or they're creating whole new uh, sectors and jobs and industries. So all these myths that go around about immigrants, these arguments that keep going, which with Jeff, which Jeff Sessions sort of did a masterclass in yesterday, uh, are racist, are are mythical. They are not actually happening. What is happening is that immigrants are disproportionately contributing to American society, not the other way around. Yeah. Steve. I would agree that uh, the argument that this would have a detrimental economic impact on other Americans has been completely debunked. Uh, Your colleague, John Gallagher, did a fascinating report Mm -hmm. in late July Mm -hmm. when he talked about... uh, the increase in poverty among census tracts in Detroit, how in the last five years, two-thirds of all of the census tracts in Detroit have shown an increase in poverty. 
He pointed out, though, a distinctive exception to that, and that was two census tracts in southwest Detroit. Mm-hmm. Those are census tracts that run between Clark Park, Livernois, Toledo on the north, which is just north of Verner, and Fort on the, on the south. Um, in those census tracts, we saw in five years a decline in poverty levels of nearly 20 points. The poverty level dropped from 50% to 30%. Yeah. Also, the median household income went up $10,000 in that area. Now, That's about uh, immigration. And that is about immigration. Those are census tracts that are overwhelmingly Latino. And in fact, 44% of all of the individuals in those census tracts are foreign-born. It is the entrepreneurial spirit and activism and activity of the immigrants in those two in that neighborhood that is enabled that neighborhood to rise economically. If we were to suddenly start to roll back these immigration policies, this would have an extraordinarily detrimental effect on neighborhoods in southwest right. Detroit. On now, neighborhoods southwest, that are leading the way in terms yes, of economic growth in because Detroit. As we all know, southwest Detroit is considered to be one of the most viable neighborhoods in Detroit and is a linchpin in the strategy to close the gap between the so-called two Detroits. If we are truly going to have neighborhood revitalization in Detroit, we have to have a immigration policy that is accommodating and coherent. Yeah. I mean, look, the America is still the best country in the world to open up a business to get rich, to make money, to make a better future for your family. And there just seems to be too much of a segment of the American population that seems to be upset that immigrants do it better. <laughs> Jealousy, right? Yeah. All right. And, uh, and, you know, there, there have been, obviously, a number of studies from both conservative think tanks and so-called liberal think tanks that indicate that uh, the rolling back of DACA is going to have an incredibly detrimental effect on the American economy. Yeah. Estimates of of three hundred billion to five hundred billion dollars in economic shrinkage right. in the Just next Just taken decade. out of the economy. Yes. We're gonna lose seven hundred thousand workers and that will also have a concomitant effect on other employees, too. Steve Palakdary, who is Director of Communications for Southwest Solutions. Amir Zar, who is adjunct adjunct professor of law at University of Detroit Mercy, expertise in Arab and Muslim American issues. Thank you both for being here on Detroit Today. Thanks. Up next, we're going to speak with two immigration attorneys about the legal predicaments that DACA recipients are finding themselves in. Stay with us on Detroit Today and stay with us on the phones, 313-577-1019. These are people I love. These are people I appreciate. I know their hearts. I know their spirit, soul, what they bring. College graduates trying to get in there and fight. And now they're, they're, I'm looking at them at work, and my heart is, is bleeding. It's, it's shredding uh, watching uh, the, the fear that they have now. 
That was Emma Lockridge, an environmental justice organizer with Michigan United. Uh, She says she worked with a number of DACA recipients through her work at that organization. We are talking about DACA for the entire hour today here on Detroit Today. We've heard from DACA recipients and some of the people who work with them now We want to bring in two immigration attorneys from here in southeast Michigan to get their takes. Rudy Robinson is an immigration attorney at the Michigan Immigrant Rights Center. Melanie Goldberg is an immigration attorney, chair of American Immigration Lawyers. Melanie and Ruby, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, So let's start, Melanie, with uh, what does this what does this mean? I mean, there there are obvious implications if this goes through. I'm curious about the the interim, this six month window that the Trump administration has set up. What legally, what is that going to look like? Legally, well, what it means is that the president really didn't want to make the decision and he's just punted it to Congress. So Congress now is in the position that they've been 12 times before since 2001 uh, to try to come up with a bill that is passable and will pass, which will make a permanent change to the immigration to the immigration law for this group of people. And you know, our hope always is for immigration reform. On a much bigger scale. Sure. I I feel like the idea of immigration reform at a much larger scale is the solution we've all been waiting for. I also feel like in this next six months, it may be one of the things that Congress sort of leans on to say, well, we can't fix this because we're not just going to pull this one piece out to make an exception. We need to wait and talk about it, which, of course, means that it won't get done. Are you are you also concerned about that, Ruby? Yeah, so we're concerned about that as well. There's been a discussion for many years, do we change or alter or improve our immigration system piecemeal, mm-hmm. um, step by step, or do we do it in a more comprehensive manner? And it seems that, at least if the past has been any indicator, uh, comprehensive immigration reform is the solution, but uh, politically, it's a very difficult sell because you have lots of stakeholders involved uh-huh. and finding agreement in this uh, current uh, political uh, scene is, is going to be very difficult. Sure. Uh, one of the things that is true about this region and has been true for decades and decades is its rich diversity of immigrants. Uh, talk about uh, talk about who they are and uh, where they're from. We know about the big Latino population in Southwest. We know about uh, the Arab and Muslim population here. There are people, though, from other countries as well who are going to be affected by this. Yeah. So we've we've seen in Southeast Michigan, especially, there's a large um, community from South Asia. Uh, a lot of people who work in you know, engineering jobs or, you know, kind of in tech, um, medical industry. But really, we have people from all over the United States here And when DACA is discussed, I think a lot of people think, oh, they're just referring to Mexicans. And yes, Mexicans tend to be the largest recipients of DACA, Mm -hmm. but we've seen people with DACA from all over the world, Japanese, uh, people from Korea, people from Canada. Actually, most people don't know that Canadians are the people most likely to overstay their visas in the United States by more than double than any other country around the world. Right. Um, So it's a much more um, robust uh, discussion than people from Central or South America who would be benefiting from DACA. Right. The fifth highest number of DACA applicants came from South Korea. Wow. 
Wow, I, I don't know that most people would have would have thought about that. Much about smaller number the, than Mexico, Metro, but right. still the fifth highest number. Yeah. And yeah. and what this means in terms of our communities is these are people who are able to continue their education, to buy a car, to lawfully drive, to open a bank account, establish credit, support themselves, support their families, and really contribute richly to our economy, um, which we talked about or you talked about just a few moments ago sure. in terms of you know the economic impact uh, the immigrants, um, positive economic impacts that immigrants have on our economy um, you know, throughout Michigan, uh, and uh, we hope that it we're right. able to continue to do so. Right. Uh, Melanie, I, I, I want to get to this idea of um, uh, the things that you're, that you're working with people on in terms of trying to get them uh, into the DREAM Act. One of the things I think is a misconception is about how people end up in this situation. A lot of people believe that, that their parents have come here illegally, which I know is, is true in some cases, but it's a, it's a richer sort of dynamic than that, I guess. Sure it is. Um, and, you know, the families that did come here have all come here for the, the very valid reason of looking for a better life for their families, economically, socially. Uh, but many people do come here on a visa legally and then stay longer than they're supposed to. And I think that's how, you know, those um, South Asians and Europeans who are part of the uh, DACA program now, that's how they've come is legally through a visitor visa to visit family. And their parents said, nope, we're going to stay. Yeah. And so they end up in this situation, too. Yeah. It's yeah. estimated that nearly 30 to 40 percent of people who are here without status right now actually entered lawfully as students, as tourists in right. some other way. And it's not just a problem of people crossing, you know, the southern border. Right. It's it's overstaying their legal entrance to the United States. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Ruby Robinson, immigration attorney at the Michigan Immigrant Rights Center, and Melanie Goldberg, immigration attorney and chair of American Immigration Lawyers. Thank you both for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, the, I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber Davis and Jake Neer. Our program director is Joan Isabella. The technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Today, we want to give special thanks to Ron Lyons, Lauren Santucci, Shelby Jupe, Laura Herberg, Sandra Soboda. They all helped put this show together today. And Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. We'll see you tomorrow.